Welcome to a Wednesday edition of Locked On NBA. Uh, we actually just got done recording our show, and just as we got done, news broke that Boston Celtics center Al Horford will decline to exercise his $30.1 million player option uh, for next season and plans to leave the team as an unrestricted free agent this summer and seek a long-term deal elsewhere in the range of three or four years. And this is big news because we knew that Kyrie Irving was leaving. And it seems like there's zero chance that he goes back to Boston at this point. Looks most likely like he'll end up in, in Brooklyn. Losing Kyrie Irving, losing Al Horford would obviously be a big blow. David and I, we're going to talk about this a little bit right now. We're going to get into some of the Houston Rockets drama. It's all drama right now. It's the NBA offseason. It never stops. We're going to get into that drama a little bit later in the show. And then Ben Golliver will join us as well to talk about the Lakers, to talk about Kawhi Leonard and all this stuff. But your, your just immediate takeaways, David, we're recording this within minutes of this news breaking. I, I don't find it all that surprising, to be honest with you. I, I mean, look, I, I think Kyrie was the linchpin holding this team together, at least as far as any kind of off-season plans were concerned. Like, everything was geared up towards him re-signing, and then from that point forward, possibly swinging a deal for Anthony Davis. Obviously, that's done. Uh, That move to Los Angeles killed any kind of hope. So given that it all fell apart, it seemed pretty likely that Kyrie was going to at least explore other options. And then once he did, and we've heard pretty steadily over the last couple of weeks that he seems to be in hot pursuit of another team, probably the Brooklyn Nets, Al Horford doesn't want to be part of a rebuilding effort. And that seems likely where the Celtics are headed. And not a full rebuild because they still have enough young talent there to possibly make another deep run or at least a semi-deep run. But I don't think Horford at this point in his career wants to be there. Yeah, 33 years old. 33 years old. And and look, I I guess what's weird about it is (laughs) that... The report comes out and he says, I'm not coming back. It's not even like I'm opting out and I'm going to take meetings and, and then I'm going to figure, I'm going to wait the, the usual free agent player talk, right? I'm going to weigh my options and see what's best for me and my family, blah, blah, blah. But this is just like, no, I'm not coming back. I'm out of here. Just like Kyrie, I'm gone. And look, maybe that, that ultimately it's probably good for Boston, right? They know what his intentions are and they could, they could proceed you know, knowing that they're going to have a little bit of cap room now and knowing that they're rebuilding around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and and maybe Gordon Hayward. I don't know. But um, Marcus Smart. Do you re-sign Rozier at that point? I mean, <laughs> I, I don't think so. <laughs> I, think, I think Terry Rozier burned that bridge when he showed up on first take. But he'll get all the shots he wants now, I guess. Well, I, Jason Tatum too. The other part about Woj's report here is that and, and look, there's certain reporters that are plugged into certain places, and Woj is obviously plugged in everywhere. He's especially plugged in in L.A. He puts out this hypothetical that that Horford would be a candidate for the Clippers should they be able to lure Toronto's Kawhi Leonard. Those are his words. And so it feels like now Kawhi and Horford in L.A. not only fills the two biggest needs for the Clippers, who were kind of quietly without a starting caliber center for most of the season— and uh, you put Horford in that spot. You obviously had Kawhi, who is arguably the best player in the league right now. And boom, you really have something that sort of rivals what's going on in L.A. Or, de- or definitely rivals what's going on in L.A. You know, Horford's not as good as Anthony Davis. You could argue Kawhi and LeBron cancel each other out. But the Clippers have a ton of more depth right now with the cap space to sign both of these guys. 
Yeah, I, I think the Clippers are in a better situation, to be honest with you. I, I think they've got a, a more established coach in Rivers over Vogel. I think they have a more stable front office with Jerry West as part of that team there. I, I, I think they're building towards something, and I think that's been the plan for a long time now. I think this year's success was definitely not something that they were expecting. Uh, you know, They made major moves during the season. They still wound up garnering a playoff spot. They wound up proving themselves as, as a tough competitor against the Golden State Warriors. Uh, and, and for them to be able to acquire two star players in Horford and a superstar in, in Leonard, I think that makes them a better team, to be honest with you. Although I like favorites it. in the West. I mean, we're going to talk about the Rockets later on and everything that's going on with them. But favorites in the West, I, I think that's pretty easy to say. Okay. I mean, I, I, look, obviously, the Lakers have a lot of moves yet to make. But for the most part, I, I would say that the Clippers are a better team as assembled right now. Now, that could change. Obviously, the Los Angeles Lakers could acquire another star. Potentially, we've heard some moves are being made in order to acquire a third-star player? All right, so the Lakers now, it's being reported by Adrian Wojnarowski and Bobby Marks, or both of ESPN, that the Lakers are trying to now clear enough cap space to sign a max-level free agent, right? So after the Anthony Davis trade, they had about $22, $23 million in cap space. I guess they figured that out. (laughs) And we're like, wait, hold on. No, we want a third all-star. We want enough room for a third superstar. And now they're desperately trying to expand the trade convince Anthony Davis to decline his trade kicker you stack all that stuff up and maybe they have enough room for a max salary guy either they didn't know the math when they made the Anthony Davis trade and now they're freaking out like this seems all like a fire drill I'm trying to figure out why either they they just figured out the math of this whole deal or they have some intel that a player wants to sign there but needs Something at least close to the max, certainly higher than $23 million. Well, I think we've heard enough scuttle from impending free agents that they're not planning on waiting around. What was it, July 23rd, Mm. I think it was, when they would finally have enough cap space available or something along those lines. It would have been late in the free agency process. And we've seen this historically that players don't really want to wait around. Enough players will find deals out there whether it's in L.A. or other or elsewhere, and, and they'll take them as soon as they're available. So for the Lakers, this is just an opportunity for them to to kind of be players right away. And I think a lot of players would want to join Davis and LeBron in Los Angeles because it's the Lakers, because those two are superstar players. But you're right about the Lakers dropping the ball here completely. Like Enough people knew about this caveat that they were putting it publicly, that questioning, you know, why they didn't change the the the, the scenario a little bit so that they could have cap space, and, and they were kind of publicly ridiculed for it. I think it's just another another sign that the Lakers front office is in complete disarray. Like too many voices, none of them clear enough, none of them concise, none of them practically knowing anything. Or at least in some cases, not knowing these kinds of details that keeps this team from emerging as a true competitor. Like, yeah, obviously they've gotten Anthony Davis through no fault of their own. I think this was this was something that they did in, in spite of the Lakers front office. I think it's because of Clutch and LeBron's representation kind of luring Anthony Davis here and finally getting that trade uh, to swing in a, in a way that the, you know they, they prefer. But... I mean, this is just the Lakers have just done everything so badly for such an, a long time now, and they continue to do so. And, and this is just another ridiculous, uh, you know, example of that. And yeah. uh, to be honest with you, I'm not sure what to make of it. I mean, maybe they've gotten some kind of wink, wink assurance no, from a player. What maybe? what you make of it is that LeBron is the general manager there, and <laughs> and I, you know, I I hate to do that like this talking head, you know, talk show thing, but. 
if the Lakers know what's good for them, they would let LeBron be the general manager there because nobody else in that front office is doing a better job than he is. And you're right. He's the guy that had the relationship with Anthony Davis, has relationships with other stars in the league, and can convince them to sign with L.A. Anyway, all this stuff is changing. We recorded this again you know, minutes after we got done recording the first version of the Lockdown NBA podcast for today. As we were recording this, Zach Lowe uh, tweeted basically... Daryl Morey's words that they are not going to trade Chris Paul, that that's not on the table. Now, it, it's been nothing but conflicting reports out of Houston. Just wanted to throw that in there as a caveat for when we talk about our Houston Rockets conversation later on. And then Giannis Antetokounmpo just tweeted the eye emoji out, you know, in the middle of all this stuff. Who knows what that means? We'll all figure it out. It's the offseason. It's crazy. And we'll continue talking about it here on Locked on NBA. are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome to a Wednesday edition of Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. I'm Wes Goldberg, and I'm here with the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. David Ramil will join us later in the show. We're going to talk about what's next for Kawhi Leonard, the growing drama in Houston. But first, I wanted to dig into this Anthony Davis stuff, Ben. I want to get your opinion on the, the it's kind of the hot topic. Did the Lakers give up too much for Anthony Davis? Nobody could just be happy that the Lakers got Anthony Davis. Now the question becomes, did they give up too much for maybe one of the top five players in the NBA? What do you think? Well, look, they had to give up a lot, especially because Rob Palenka really needed a win, right? I mean, all the pressure from Magic Johnson's departure, the investigations into the Lakers' culture, the need to find a star to pair with LeBron James to kind of get his uh, you know golden years of his career kind of back on track. Uh, they were facing a lot of pressure to do a deal. They did a deal, but I don't think it's nitpicking to say that they you know, forked over a hefty, hefty amount of uh, assets. I mean, I think over the last five years, basically every GM has tried to avoid becoming the next Billy King. You know, you don't give away those unprotected picks. You get really careful with the pick swaps. You don't string a long line of them together in order, uh, you know, potentially exposing your organization to some crazy risk there over a three or four or five year period. And Rob Polinka basically assumed all of those risks. Now, it's a very interesting trade dynamic because LeBron James, uh, Anthony Davis, Rich Paul, the agent, David Griffin, the Pelicans none of those parties have any risk here, right? Like LeBron and Anthony Davis, if things backfire, they can always leave in free agency. Rich Paul did exactly what his client asked him to do. And he also took care of LeBron James's interests as well. David Griffin had to make a deal. So he really wasn't sticking his neck out at all because Anthony Davis was going to leave next year for nothing. All of the pressure, all of the risk in this deal all falls on Rob Palenka. And I think it, it winds up being an absolute boomer bust, bust scenario. You know, if the Lakers are able to make the Western Conference Finals or the Finals next year in one of the next two seasons, he is going to be hailed for uh, his stones, his cojones, whatever you want to call it, you know, his guts to be able to uh, pull a uh, deal like this off, uh, you know, after so many months of back and forth. But there's a lot of ways this could backfire. LeBron's getting older. Anthony Davis has had some health concerns. Uh, they're probably going to be a pretty shallow team, given how much money they're going to pay to those two players. Uh, either one of them could depart as free agents down the road. And then, of course, all the picks could uh, come back to bite them, as I mentioned earlier. So 
Um, I think if I'm Rob Polinka, I am very happy in the short term getting the win, but I'm also, you know, looking over my shoulder or sort of dreading the revisionism or the second guessing that could be coming here down the road uh, as this deal plays out. We had heard reports that David Griffin and Anthony Davis met for lunch and that Anthony Davis after that meeting still wanted to get traded. You would think Rob Polinka would have had a lot more leverage in these negotiations and it seemed like he utilized and that David Griffin basically used all the leverage and to say like, we know that you want Anthony Davis. We know that you'll do just about anything to get Anthony Davis and appease LeBron James. So here's what it's going to be. I mean, I don't know if it's a minor miracle that Palenka was able to hold on to Kyle Kuzma. I don't know how much of a sticking point that was in negotiations. If that was these, if he was like, you know, instead of Kuzma, we'll give you, you know, pick swaps and unprotected picks down the future. I don't know. But I will say this. I don't really care that much that they gave up all this stuff. I really don't. I, you get Anthony Davis and you get LeBron James. Given what's going on with Golden State right now, they're the only team in the league with two top five NBA players. And and I know you've got to figure out the rest of this roster. I, I know that Palenka hasn't really shown a lot of wit and, and creativity so far. But, you know, he pulled off the Anthony Davis trade, but I wouldn't chalk that up to creativity. He basically just offered all of the assets that he had. So unless they go out and sign five more Lance Stevensons, and I just I don't see him making that mistake twice, it's going to be a decent team. They're going to be considered favorites or, or close to it in the Western Conference. And if you win a championship, it doesn't really matter. Like if you win a championship with this group and they've got a good chance to do it, I think, then it's all worth it. It's all worth it because no matter how much stuff you gave up, you had enough to win a championship. And yeah, maybe you're paying for it in 2023, 2024, 2025, but that's sort of how championships work. You sort of pay it forward a little bit. You just do. And it doesn't matter if you're spending a lot of money on free agents or you you know using assets to, to trade for players. You end up paying it forward in some way, in one way or the other. And I think the, we just we could see how the Lakers are going to pay it forward pretty quickly with this deal. I, I don't love the Brooklyn Nets comparison. Anthony Davis is so much better than Kevin Garnett or Paul Pierce were. They were washed. Anthony Davis is smack dab in the middle of his prime. It, it's comparable as far as assets go that are that are departing, but the player that is arriving is so much better yeah. and so much more of a difference but maker. But keep in mind, though, that, with Anthony Davis, I mean, he needs help to win consistently, right? We've seen that in New Orleans. Yeah. If he doesn't have a supporting second player and third player and fourth player and some structure structure and cohesion those kinds of things matter if you're building around him because we've seen what it looks like uh you know if they don't have those things and you know it's 30 something wins and lottery trips uh, a lot of years down there in new orleans and so uh I, I agree with you look he's at a totally different stage of his career as those other guys he's you know likely he, i mean he very well could lead the league in scoring next year he should be an all nba first team guy he's going to be near the top of jersey sales uh and everything else you know some of these things that weren't available to him in that New Orleans market are now going to be available in LA and playing with the attention that comes with uh, LeBron James as well. Um, but you know, the risks are very real. Like I, we can't just pencil them in as a deep uh, playoff run. And we saw what the Lakers looked like when LeBron was hurt last year. It wasn't pretty. We saw what the Pelicans look like. If 80 misses time at any point over the last five years, that wasn't pretty. So uh, I think that it definitely makes the Lakers far more relevant. It restores their identity as being this like huge, you know, monolithic team that everybody loves or hates. I mean, all that stuff is back. But in terms of the winning, 
and how it's going to work on the court. We can't uh, just pencil that in. They've got some questions with style of play. Frank Vogel, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, all those guys sort of come at things uh, a little bit differently. And they're absolutely going to have questions with the supporting cast because they're not going to be dumb enough to repeat the mistakes of you know taking chances on a Michael Beasley or a Lance Stevenson, those type of players. But they're going to have to take some chances, whether it's older players, uh, you know, guys mm-hmm. who are coming off of injuries, you know, other sorts of things that are going to be, you know, depressing players' value because they just don't have that many mechanisms to add talent. Uh, they're going to have twenty-something million dollars of cap space. Obviously, they're going to be looking to try to, you know, put that into a, a third star free agent if they can. Uh, if they strike out there, they're going to have to be compromising on some cheaper players, some guys who aren't dream fits, uh, and that's going to make uh, Rob Palinka's job very difficult. I do tend to look at the star player in the transaction and just say it's worth it. But I'm also coming from the perspective of you. You, the Miami Heat went and traded for future first-round picks and signing trades for LeBron and Chris Bosh, and ended up those picks ended up conveying in the in the case of Cleveland, they ended up conveying to Cleveland when Le, after LeBron had gone back to Cleveland. You know, but you go to four straight titles, you win two championships. I do think look, there is risk. It does at least prop open the championship window. That wasn't the case last year. It it gets them a big step closer. But you're right. You've got to consider all these things. And I think I do t- have a tendency to just look at the star going back and say, okay, it's probably going to be worth well, it. Well, look, I mean, but, their, their last six years have been so ugly that you can easily make the case that they should have just done this trade almost no matter the cost. And I think that's basically what it came right. down to because they didn't have a lot left to give up besides Kuzma. I think the the best way to frame it, Mo, Wag- Mo Wagner, Wagner, yeah, and Bob. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they, they have a couple other bodies, but I mean, nothing that you know would really move the needle in most trade discussions. I think the way to frame it, though, yes, it's absolutely a short term win. It vaults them back up into a position they just haven't been in really since before Kobe's uh, Achilles injury. Uh, but I think it's completely fair to nitpick on the price that Palinka paid in terms of the, the actual negotiation. And I think the best way to spin yeah. it is to say, hey, David Griffin did one heck of a job because we've seen a lot of yes. GMs in situations where they have to trade a player. There's only one year left. And everybody comes out of that trade saying, oh, my God, they got nothing. That's pennies on the dollar. That's all they could get for that player. And I don't think anybody said that about this trade. I think it was actually the opposite. It's, wow, uh, Griffin really did a nice job of maximizing yes. that asset. And so uh, that is one reason why I think... It's like you got all of that for Anthony Davis? Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, we penalize Palinka yeah. a little bit for that, right? But we also give Griffin the credit on the other side. I mean, he is having one heck of a run in his first few months as president of basketball operations there in New Orleans. I mean, all the skill that it took to get the number one pick in the NBA draft lottery. I mean, he is really proving himself to be one of the best at that job in the well, NBA. Well, hey, he's but, just getting uh, started, though, now. Because don't forget, he's got yep. this fourth pick. He could use it. He yep. could trade it. He's got these other picks that are going to be coming in throughout the duration of Zion's rookie deal. I mean, to me, the Pelicans should be very entertaining and pretty decent to watch uh, next season. Uh, but I think it's a pretty rare scenario for a player as hyped as Zion to come into a ready-made situation where they actually have the potential to win and be competitive uh, from day one. I mean, you compare the type of young nucleus they're going to be able to put around him uh, compared to like what the Sonics look like when they drafted Kevin Durant or what the Pelicans look like mm-hmm. when they had Anthony Davis in his first year or the Cleveland Cavaliers with LeBron James his first year. It's night and day. And so I think one yeah. of the biggest winners of the entire uh, trade, you know, the Anthony Davis blockbuster is Zion because not only does he get his own team, 
but he gets a pretty rosy future to look forward to as well. Let's take a break, but when we come back, why Kawhi Leonard could leave a championship team in Toronto and head to L.A. You're listening to Locked On NBA. So on Tuesday morning, Ben, Adrian Wojnarowski went on ESPN and reported that Kawhi Leonard, a day after the championship parade in Toronto, that his focus remains on signing with the Clippers. Everybody thought it was the Clippers all season long. People came off of that feeling a little bit during this Toronto Raptors championship run. Maybe it was all the emotion of the moment. Maybe it was just this idea that you can't leave a team that seemed poised to go for a repeat here. Are you surprised that Leonard's focus is still on the Los Angeles Clippers? No, not at all. I mean, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. We actually learned a decent amount about Kawhi Leonard and what motivates him during this last month of, of the playoffs. Everybody says, oh, he's hard to read. Well, look, I saw a guy who was loving all of the attention at the championship parade, smoking cigars, wide smile on his face. I saw a guy who loved being the main option in late game scenarios down in the playoffs. I saw a guy who really uh, you know, ate up the competition uh, you know, at the highest level, you know, showing that he wanted to be the main guy in the postseason, playing in high stakes games against really good teams, and so I mean, to me, that pl- that paints a pretty clear picture uh, of what he's looking for. I think he wants to be the man. I think he doesn't want to deal with a lot of drama. I think he wants to feel the love from the fan base, which he clearly did in Toronto. There's no question about it. And I think he wants to have the ball in his hands and, and to be that guy who gets the shot, you know, with the series on the line or, or the championship on the line. I mean, the, the game winner against Philadelphia, that 10-0 stretch that he had in the fourth quarter, uh, you know, against Golden State. I mean, those were some moments where, you know, you saw a lot of alpha, you know, come out of Kawhi Leonard. And if we're comparing some situations like the Lakers, they can't really check those boxes if they are trying to pursue him as their third star, right? Kawhi wouldn't be the number one guy. He wouldn't Mm -hmm. be the most famous person. Mm -hmm. There would be a lot of distractions and nonsense going on, uh, headlines, you know, the, the kind of attention that Kawhi doesn't seem to like. But a team like the Clippers can offer him a solid roster, the ability to win, potentially, you know, make the finals out of the Western Conference next year if he goes there. They would offer him, uh, you know, full run you know he could rest as many games load manage as much as he wants uh they he would they would have a proven championship coach uh, in position uh to guide him uh, and they would obviously you know position him as their man like you know the, the guy they're putting into the marketing uh, opportunities billboards and, and it's also home too in los angeles that's a pretty nice package and toronto of course uh can look itself in the mirror and say hey we did everything we possibly can to retain Kawhi. We went out and won the title. He was the finals MVP. The fan base adored him. They let him know and all of those things. And so ultimately for Kawhi, he's got two really good options here. He can either run it back with the Raptors or he can decide, hey, uh, I finished every bit of business that I possibly could in Toronto. Uh, It's time to go back home and, and try to do it with the Clippers. I think either way, uh, he can't go wrong. And I think either way, he would wind up being very satisfied. Yeah, in the Clippers situation, he would be the man who... You know, they traded Blake Griffin for, in some respects, just like the Raptors traded DeMar DeRozan for, and he came in and took them to places that that previous superstar could not take them. And I I agree with every point that you made, and I would only add one thing. You look at San Antonio, you look at Toronto, good ownership, stability in the front office, things like that, which is reasons why the Lakers also don't make sense. Reasons why maybe he's not really considering the New York Knicks, right? And I just think it's... The only thing that's surprising to me about this whole situation is that it's virtually unprecedented that a player like Kawhi Leonard at 27 years old with 
who had just blossomed into the best player in, in basketball, arguably the number one player in basketball, is a free agent, is considering leaving the team that he just won a championship with. Not only is all of that unprecedented, but the fact that it's kind of coming down to Toronto and the Clippers as his free agent destination is crazy. If you would have told me that, Ben, five years ago, that that was going to be the situation, not telling me who the player was, just that this was going to happen, I would have said you're nuts. There's just There would be no way that that would happen. In a season also where the Lakers were in play for a maximum level free agent, where the Knicks are in play for a free agent, like... In the same offseason, and at the number one player in the league, in the smack dab in the middle of his prime, ready to go win another championship, who just won one as a finals MVP, is considering the Toronto Raptors and the LA Clippers, I would have said you were insane. That part, to me, is unprecedented. No, it's a great point, Wes. I'm glad you said that, because it, it tells you the type of extended work that needs to be done to change a franchise's reputation, right? And it starts at the top. I mean, the ownership group in uh, Toronto has stepped up, taking care of Masai Ujiri, empowered him to go out there, build a new practice facility, and really to start to run that franchise like uh, you know an A-list, like top-shelf type franchise. They've been very smart with their marketing efforts. We the North was everywhere. Uh, you know, Clearly, they had a very a complex and carefully crafted plan to welcome Kawhi Leonard to take care of his body, to make sure they had the right uh, medical people in place. And those are things that just frankly, like not every organization is operating on that level. The Clippers have been going through that exact same evolution uh, in Los Angeles. It starts with the new owner, Steve Ballmer, who's turned that thing completely upside down uh, in a good way since the Donald Sterling era. And I think that, you know, more and more when we're seeing these superstars make their uh, free agency decisions, they are considering those kinds of factors, right? Like they're looking at everything uh, because they realize that that type of support and that type of spending as well is going to be required if you want to compete for a title. Golden State's probably the standard bearer for all that stuff, at least in the modern era, in terms of how much that ownership group has invested in their players, invested in the brand new building that's going to open up next fall and everything else. Uh, But look, this is an arms race. And I think the players now are smart enough and are viewing themselves as sort of business commodities or or businesses uh, into and of themselves that they want to see the same level of commitment from the organizations that they're going to be joining. Can I just ask you a hypothetical question? Always. (laughs) I love those. If Kawhi Leonard approached the Knicks and the Brooklyn Nets, these two teams that have kind of, you know, zoned in on Kevin Durant, given that Kevin Durant is going to basically be sidelined for a season, and you don't know what he's going to look like after he comes back from this Achilles tear. If Kawhi Leonard went to either of those teams and said, sign me instead of Durant, they'd do it, right? Um, I think so. It's a tricky one because, uh, you know, it, it depends on how much groundwork has already been laid. Like, you can't back out. If you've got sort of like a handshake, nod, nod type agreement with a guy after, you know, months of, you know, courting and all mm-hmm. that, uh, th- that could complicate matters. But if you're saying just in a vacuum, like, who would you rather have? Uh, I think if Durant hadn't uh, suffered the Achilles, I would have said KD, and and I would have said that pretty quickly, no hesitance whatsoever. Uh, But I think given the uncertainty, the fact that he's going to miss a year, uh, and the fact that Kawhi is clearly playing his best basketball, and he just showed that he can kind of transform an organization and take it up a notch uh, just by his own presence, uh, I think that would give him the advantage uh, in either one of those scenarios. Yeah, I agree. And I think the only reason it is a conversation, it speaks to how good KD is. The only reason it's a conversation is because KD 
ruptured his Achilles. I oh, mean, I mean, don't even get me started on that because hey, this guy has been working for a decade, Wes, to become, you know, the consensus best player in basketball. Mm-hmm. He puts up 45 and 50 against the Clippers in the first round. And it's like, all right, finally, after a decade, the guy who's sick of being second is going to get his coronation. He gets injured right before uh, the finals. He tries to make this valiant comeback, gets re-injured. And now it's a possibility that he will never be regarded as the consensus best player in basketball after spending basically a decade behind LeBron as the number two guy in the league. Uh, you know, certainly he's going to be able to come back and have lots of productive years left. But you look at all the young talent that's in this uh, in the NBA right now, uh, whether it's Kawhi's generation or younger. I mean, KD is going to be fighting an uphill battle to get back to that kind of throne position. Uh, you know, if he misses all of next season, and probably he's going to have to spend the following year, you know, getting himself back closer to a hundred percent. If Shakespeare was still alive, he could write a hell of a play off of Kevin Durant's tragic career. I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm telling you. Uh, let's take a quick break here, and then we'll be back with David Ramil to talk about the drama unfolding in Houston. This is Locked On NBA. Joined now by David Ramil, I want to talk about what's going on in Houston. It started after the season where there were reports that ownership and Daryl Morey weren't happy with Mike D'Antoni and they lowballed him on an extension. They started firing guys off of his coaching staff and now these stories come out on ESPN and Yahoo about how James Harden and Chris Paul may not want to play together. They're using words like turmoil, words like unsalvageable. You know, my, my favorite subplot to all this is Daryl Morey going on uh, yeah. Dan Patrick's show and talking about adding a third superstar and, and like talking about this team like everything's fine we're going to add more key players and we're going to really retool and and compete for a championship next season not ignoring the fire burning behind him there was a postseason press conference between mike fertitta the owner and then daryl morey both got up in front of reporters together and they kind of took turns answering these questions and it just seemed like every time fertitta would answer a question morey would be like well actually and so i don't i don't think that and this is just me speculating It doesn't seem like they're on the same page either. And so all of this is kind of coming at the worst timing because the Warriors dynasty seems to have ended, at least momentarily. Mm -hmm. The Lakers, of course, just traded for Anthony Davis, and they have LeBron and AD and that duo, but not any team around those guys. And so I think if you look at at the the landscape of the Western Conference, you've got to look at the Rockets. If things had been better, you look at the Rockets and be like, yeah, they're the favorites in the West. But this thing could just blow up right in their face at this point. Oh, I, I think it probably will. I mean, first of all, the challenge of trying to move Chris Paul's contract, and it's clear that given the two, they would prefer to hang on to James Harden. But it's going to be challenging to find any takers for Chris Paul's contract, not you know, not to mention his age, his injury, his constant you know, battling of injuries at his point, and uh, the fact that he's getting paid a whole heck of a lot of money. Not to mention the locker room presence, which has been an issue everywhere in New Orleans and in, uh, in, in Los Angeles, and now in Houston. It, who is it? Which team could potentially use Chris Paul? I mean, right. I could imagine the Lakers making a case for it, right? I, I mean, he's friends with LeBron James. I mean, there, there's a need for a point guard there. They don't have anybody in their backcourt currently on the roster, so. I mean, that's – and to a, a team that's accustomed to having superstars, I mean, maybe you could make that marketable push to their to their, their fans, but I, I don't know that you want to make this – I mean, if Chris Paul – the main thing is Chris Paul could still play. And I do think that there was some diminishing returns on Chris Paul last year when James Harden was basically isolating the entire season. 
So I think Chris Paul could still play and lead an elite-level type of offense or something close to it. The problem is his contract. You want to pay this guy $38 million this coming season, $41 million the season after that, and then he's got a player option for $44 million when he's going to be 36 years old? I mean, there, that's going to be one. That's probably going to be the worst deal in the NBA that year. Oh, I think by large, yeah. And so, I mean, uh, is, is a bloom someone off the rose for Daryl Morey? I mean, I, I know he's been a, a, a darling for a lot of NBA analysts for a long time because of his approach to the game and everything else. But I mean, giving Paul that contract, I, I mean, and I understand that Chris Paul was going to get that deal from somewhere. I just, I don't know why. I think, I think the Morey thing was all right. This is going to look bad, but we've got to do it. And they ha- they had a chance at winning the championship the last two I years. Right. I mean, yeah. they 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 were there. They, they didn't. But if you want to play the results, I don't know. Um, unless Chris, I, I wonder if Chris Paul would be willing to waive that final year of his contract. And I he can't. I don't know if he can do that now. I don't know how early you could possibly do that. But if he was willing to opt out of that con- that final year of his contract, it might make greasing the wheels on a trade easier. But there's no freaking way he does that. He's not passing up $44 million. I think he'll just say, you know what? Houston's not that bad. But there are teams I do think that might be desperate enough to do it. I, I don't know what teams there are, but there are teams that could talk themselves into Chris Paul, especially if it comes at a low cost. A team that needs a uh, kind of a little bit of juice right now, I don't know. But whether or not Chris Paul is there or not, I don't, like, I don't know where he... Like, if it... How much do you believe? How much are you buying these reports that the that relationship is unsalvageable? That those guys just don't want to play together anymore? How much of that are you I, really believing? A hundred percent. I honestly think that they're. I mean, I think friction follows Chris Paul wherever he goes, and I know that Harden, like most superstars, is temperamental and used to ha- being done, used to having things done in, in their own way, which makes yeah. a lot of sense. Uh, I think he's probably the more amenable of the two. Uh, and Chris Paul is notoriously stubborn and and very regimented in his approach to the game and practices and everything else. And he just he can't get along with anybody. It, it's tough to find a perfect fit for him. I would imagine that even playing alongside LeBron, a friend off the court, that there would probably be friction there, um, just because Chris Paul being who he is. And, and so I believe those reports one hundred percent. And I just yeah, I, I'm with you though. I just don't know if there's an available trade out there for Chris Paul. I mean, yes, it's a good name. He's a Hall of Fame player. And it's not like his skills... I mean, his skills have diminished somewhat. It's just basically because of his longevity or his ability to to play a full season. But he's still an impactful player. I I mean, he's still a great playmaker. He's still a great shot maker, etc. He's still a great defender. You know, it's just... I I don't know what teams are willing to accept... His right. off-court issues. You don't want to bring him onto a young team because he can yeah. just blow that stuff out of the water. You don't right. necessarily like. You look at a team that makes sense that would okay needs a little bit of a, a pump up for the fan support, needs another star player, is a little bit in limbo. That team is the Detroit Pistons, Ooh. but the Pistons already have Blake Griffin. Like just, <laughs> they don't work. do that again. Yeah. I mean, I I don't. So other than that, I don't know who does it. I don't know who does it. Uh, how about I mean, this? A crazy Boston? theoretical. Uh, well, uh, here's a crazy theoretical: Westbrook for Chris Paul. I thought about it. Westbrook, it you know, has partnered yeah. with Harden before. They're great friends. Chris Paul keeps that championship window open. He's the you know, without a doubt, he's the the alpha personality in the Thunder locker room. He can find a way to play alongside Paul George. It, it might actually work. I don't think Sam Presti would have anything to do with that, and I think the Thunder fan base would probably openly revolt. 
But at the same time, yeah. he might even be a better fit for that roster than Westbrook would. Yeah. I think you could definitely argue that. You know, you have guys that are non-shooters around him. Chris Paul helps the spacing of that entire situation. You can kind of, he kind of relinquishes number one scoring duties to Paul George while he can, you know, recover his own number one right. option as playmaker. Maybe yes. not a shot maker, but playmaker for that yes. offense. Go for it. Call the office right now. Can we do it on their behalf? Um, other than that, look, I think, you know, there is a lot of tension right now with that team. And it, you don't want to lay it all on the new owner's, you know, doormat here. But it, it you kind of get the sense it almost starts with him. I mean, with all this stuff, oh, with, does, yeah. if you're firing Mike D'Antoni's staff, we're not really, like, there seems to be tension between Fertitta and Maury, Maury and D'Antoni, Fertitta and, Dar- and, and Mike D'Antoni, and then now you've got this locker room in disarray. There just seems to, like, the timing couldn't be worse. And that, to me, is the unfortunate part of all of this, is that if you want James Harden to win a championship, his best window was the last two years. And that was probably the worst possible time because the Warriors were so dominant. And the timing just is bad. And the timing also in these playoffs were bad. You catch the Warriors in the second round when they're as healthy as they were during the playoffs um, before Kevin Durant goes down game five of that series. Maybe they would have had a better chance had they seen them in the Western Conference Finals like Portland did. I don't know. You know, Toronto definitely was helped by the Warriors being injured. So timing has just been really, it's been problematic for Houston, and it's unfortunate if you're a Rockets fan. Remember to listen to and subscribe to new and archived episodes of Locked On NBA on Himalaya, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, please leave us a review. Make sure to check out Ben Golliver's writing over at the Washington Post. We'll catch you next week.